0: I'm Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here at Great Oaks. It's my joy and honor uh, today to unpacked, unpack the, uh, the Word of God uh, with you, the truth of God's Word with you and for you. And so that's what we're going to get into. If you're joining us online, I want to welcome you from wherever you're at. Make sure you get in the chat and uh, give us a shout out. Tell us who you're listening with or watching with and where you're watching from. Uh, and if you need prayer, just click prayer. We've got somebody hosting that service at our online campus and they would love to pray with you today. So it's summer, right? Summer. Who's excited about some summer? So it seemed like the winter was like three seasons long. So now we're like, okay, we're ready for some summer, right? Uh, for some of you, summer means nothing. You like just keep working and it's just a little hotter, right? And that's kind of your summer. For those of you with school-age kids, it means some stuff, right? Kids are at home. Some parents are like super excited about that. Some not so much, right? I thought I'd get an excited parent, but I didn't. So I guess all of you kids look at your parents and go, oh, that's how it is, all right? They're excited when school starts again and it hasn't even ended yet. So, um, so welcome to summer. And as far as church goes, church life goes, summers are always interesting uh, because this is the last time I'm going to see some of you until August, right? Uh, you just disappear for the summer. For some of you, summers and church just don't really go together. And, uh, and so you'll just show back up in August like nothing happened. You'll just be like, I was here the whole time. <laughs> what an awesome summer we had in Jesus' name right? And we're like, we know you weren't here, all right? We know you weren't here, all right? We could tell. So uh, some of you do that. Uh, and you, you just don't really know uh, how to put church and, and summer together. Some of you are kind of freaking out right now because you thought we closed during the summer. You thought... We had like a summer break, like school. And you're like, what? I didn't know they did the Jesus thing in the summer too. And so we do. Uh, We still do that. And uh, we have a good time in the summer. God uh, still moves and changes hearts and lives. And this is still the place to be. And so I would love for you to join us this summer. Um, and, and be a part of what God is going to do. We're going to start a series two weeks from now in the summer, and it's going to go through the summer. Uh, on It's a verse-by-verse series on the book of Colossians. And so uh, I love doing verse-by-verse series uh, because it keeps me and us tethered to God's word in the most direct way versus like a a topical series, which I'm not against doing. We do that here. Uh, But I love verse by verse because I'm going to preach whatever. We're going to preach whatever is in the text, whatever Colossians says, we're going to preach about that. And so if I skip over, if we skip over some verses, you'll be like, what? Right? Like he just totally didn't preach on that because he got scared. All right. So um, so I'm going to definitely, through this, we are going to, preach through Colossians and preach on some things that we wouldn't normally maybe choose to preach on. Maybe we don't even like to preach on it. Uh, Maybe definitely you don't like us to preach on some things that are in Colossians. And so, uh, but we're going to preach on them because God in his infinite wisdom has chosen to include them in his word. And so it's an exciting way uh, to study the word together, the book of Colossians. You can start reading that uh, if you haven't already. And uh, two weeks, we're going to start that. And I hope that you'll be a part of that. And listen, um, speaking of summer, your kids are learning what they should, what should be important to them, uh, by watching what is important to you, right? Um, your kids are learning what should be important to them by watching what is important to you. And not just what you say is important, but actually what you live out and your kids aren't dumb. doesn't matter how old they, they're not, they're not dumb. They, they know if, if church is just something you do when there's nothing better to do in the summer, they know that. And so I wanna encourage you and challenge you to make Christ the center of your summer. And that might take some planning if you're not used to doing that. You might have to sit down and look at the calendar and go, wow, I totally didn't realize this, but yeah, we're out um, every Sunday in the summer, and I didn't realize that. And so it might take some shifts. It might take you going, hey, we're going to come back from vacation on Saturday so that we can make this, gathering with God's, God's children, gathering with believers, important and central during the summer. And so I want to invite you uh, to do that, to do whatever it takes to try to be here as much as you can. Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. Maybe I am, okay? Maybe summer and God just don't mix, okay? But if you can pray about that and ask the Lord if he wants fall, spring, winter, summer, which season he wants, all right? That was sarcasm. You guys with me this morning? It's my spiritual gift, sarcasm. Okay. Today, we are in a third, the third week of our series called Open Hands. Um, it's been a good series so far. We've got one more week uh, as we end May next week. And here's the basic idea of this this Open Hands series. Um, and I've said it the last two weeks as well. You and I, uh, we're really just still trying to figure out how to share, right? I mean, we, we might be 40 or 50 or... 30 or whatever, but we're really like four-year-olds when it comes to sharing. We, we're still trying to figure it out. How do we? We're learning how to share. And um, it's not just our stuff. It's not just our toys that we're learning how to share, although I think you do need some help sh- learning how to share your toys. We all do. Uh, but it's more than just that. It's deeper than that. You and I were born with this, this sinful, selfish nature that, that where our tendency is to hold on to everything we've been given, right? Hold on to everything we have and shrink back from sharing it with God or sharing it with others. And it's not just you know, tangible things. It's intangible things like joy and the truth of the gospel and our family and whatever else. We, we hold tight to those things and we don't, we don't live with open hands. Um, and, and includes tangible things, resources, money, cars, houses, the whole thing. Our tendency is to hold tight. It's our nature and it's our culture. Our culture is screaming at us all the time, hoard, gather, keep, hold on to, close your hands. Get what you can get. So we've said in this series that our default position is to live life with closed hands. That's our default. That's our nature. Live life with closed hands. And if you kind of balk at that, like, no, I'm pretty generous or whatever, um, just think about it. Just take a beat and just think about it a second. Think about how easy it is to spend and how difficult it is to give. Think about your kids. They didn't come out of the womb generous and ready to share, did they? Anybody? Yeah, because I'm ready to strike it down. Liar, all right? Out of order. Yeah, no, we have to teach him that. You and I are born with this need to be taught how to share. We're born with this tendency, this sinful desire to hold on to what we have and not to share it, to close our hands to others and to close our hands to God. And so... That's our tendency, that's our nature, that's our culture. And yet, as Christ's followers, we are to live life with open hands, right? So this is this tension that God has called us to live with open hands, but our nature is to live with closed hands. And it's something we have to work out with our stuff, our time, our faith, the truth of the gospel we've been given to steward. We have to figure out how to open our hands. Everything in our lives, nature, the culture, the world, the devil, it's all trying to get us to close our hands. But God is trying to get us to open our hands in every way. So in this series, we're talking about this from four angles. Week one was how do we open our hands towards God? Because that's first. And then last week, we talked about opening our hands when it comes to our faith, the truth of the gospel God has given us to steward. And today, if you have your Bible, you can head over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll get there eventually. But today... Um, I want to talk to you about your favorite topic to talk about in church. We mentioned we'd be talking about this within the last, within this series over the last couple weeks. And um, some of you probably tried to figure out when I would be talking about it, right? So you could like skip church that day. So we're going to talk about your favorite topic to talk about. What is it? It's money. I knew you loved to talk about money. I knew it. Yeah, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about living your life with open hands when it comes to your finances. And here's the thing. If you, if you don't want to talk about money in church, you probably wouldn't make it in Jesus' church because Jesus talked about money a lot. You'd leave Jesus' church mad. Like, ah, he just wants my money, that Jesus. You wouldn't make it in Jesus' church. I mean, isn't it crazy that almost half of the parables of Jesus are about money and possessions, that one out of 10 verses in the Gospels is about money. That'd be like me preaching a sermon about money one out of 10 weeks. This is one out of 53 today, right? One out of 10. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? It's insane that the Bible has 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, and yet it has over 2,000 verses on money and possession. It's almost, almost like God thinks you have a problem with money. Almost. It's almost like that. Like based on what he included in the Bible. Like he maybe thinks we have an issue with money, me and you. And then when you look at our culture, it becomes pretty clear that we, that we do, right? Not just outside of the church, but inside of the church as well. We in our affluent culture, we have a real... A real problem with money. You and I, we're like filthy, filthy rich. I mean, we're just filthy rich. I mean, let's just chat about it for a second. If we had 100 people in this room and it it represented the entire population of the, the world and you had your laptop and your internet connection and you're working on your computer, you'd be one of three people with that. 97 other people that represent the rest of the world would not have that. They would look at you going like, whoa, you're so rich. You have all that. You have a laptop. You have internet connection. That is crazy. That's crazy. Almost half the world, more than 3 billion people live on less than $2.50 a day. I mean, how much do you make a day? $100 a day? That'd be like $3,000 a month. a day, that'd be like $6,000 a month. Like 50 to 100 times what the rest or or this half of the world makes. Isn't that crazy? You're rich. I'm, I'm rich. And you shouldn't feel bad about that. Like Ecclesiastes 5.19, it says this. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the what? Gift of God. Usually at church, we put the scriptures on on the screen, just so you know. Um, So if I'm like reading and I go, what? Or I want you to respond, it's always on the screen, all right? You guys didn't know that? first day, all right, first day, it's no big deal, it's the gift of God, right, wealth is the gift of God, every single one of you, you have been blessed by God, and I want you to kind of internalize that and believe it, and start to deal with it, accept that you've been blessed in this way, that it soak into your heart that you are genuinely rich, because here's the thing, I know many of you right now, you're pushing back. You're going, what, nah, you don't know me, you don't know how much my neighbor makes, how much my boss makes, like, I'm not rich, you don't know my situation, you standing up there in your fancy khakis, (laughs) driving that brand new 14-year-old truck you drive, right? You don't know me, pastor, like, I'm not rich, maybe you're rich, but I'm not. I heard a pastor talk about this once, and he threw out these statistics, and I've, since verified them in other places. But he said, if you make $33,000 or more in a year, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. Think about that. If you make $33,000 or more a year, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in this world alive today. You're a one percenter. You're in the top 1%. That's how rich you are. Now that's, per- that's perspective when you compare yourself, not just to people in our world, but people all over the world. Right, And if you think about God, you go, does God have a global perspective or a local perspective? I thought that was a pretty easy one to answer, but I'm going to give it to you again. You ready? Does God have like a whole world type of view or does he have like a local type of view? What do you think? I think he's at the whole world type. He's not a local God. He's not just our God here in Metamora and Germantown Hills. He's a creator of the heavens and the earth, right? He is he's global, if anything. He's got this perspective. And so I think it's interesting when you think of the whole world, not just your world here. Some of you didn't realize this, but you are like over the top crazy rich. If you're earning $80,000 a year or more, you are in the top 0.1% of wage earners in the world. In other words, top one-tenth of 1%. That's how crazy rich you are. One-tenth of 1% of everybody alive today. You are so rich. And listen, if you own a car, you're in the top 8%. How many of you own a car? Okay, just checking. And like I said earlier, if you have internet connection and a computer, you're in the top 3% of the world. I think that's everybody, right? If, I think I got everybody with the car and the, the 3% or the car and the internet. But just in case you don't have a car and you don't have internet, if you have anything in storage whatsoever, you're in the top 20% of the world as far as wealth goes. I'm talking attic, basement, pantry, the, the unit down the street, the six units down the street. I don't know. I'm not judging. I'm just saying. Like, I don't know how much you have in storage, but you, if you have anything in storage, you're in the top t- 20% of the world as far as wealth goes. Isn't that crazy? I'm hoping you can walk out of this room today like I do and just go, man, I am just loaded. <laughs> I mean, this is crazy. I am just absolutely rich beyond imagination. I, I, God has blessed me in this way because that's the way the rest of the world looks at us and yet some of us would sit, sit here and go wow well, I'm just so broke right now I'm just broke or some of us would stand in our closet and look at all the clothes we have and say I don't have anything to wear right we'd say we're broke we'd say we don't have money and the rest of the world would just look at us and go man What an idiot. I mean, what an idiot. You're stressed out about money. You're stressed out about 30 years from now. Well, most of the world's just hoping for a meal, some shoes, some water. We spend our whole lives trying to get money, trying to gain wealth, wanting to be rich. I mean, almost everybody, even Christians, if we did the whole like genie in a bottle, not genie in a bottle, that's a, that's a TV show. That's different. But if we did a genie thing where somebody came and genie came and gave you three wishes or one wish or whatever, almost everybody, Christians include, doesn't matter if you're Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, atheist, almost everybody is one of their top three wishes. It's going to say they want a ton of cash, right? I mean, you're going to just be honest. It's gonna be one of you now. If you had one wish, it'd be kind of like, "Oh man, what do I do?" But if you have three wishes, you're like, "Number one, uh, peace on earth. Number two, feed the hungry kids. Number three, ton of cash." Right? I mean, that's that's what we're gonna do, I and mean, we, we all want a bunch of money. We think it would. We we have this innate this this thing in our minds that it's gonna be better if we have a bunch of money. That if we just had a lot of money, it would release stress, it would release pressure, like we would be able to do things, we'd be able to, we, we, can, even, we can even spiritualize it and Christianize it, right? Well, if I had a hundred million dollars, I, I wouldn't have to work and then I'd be able to volunteer at the homeless shelter, right? Or I'd have all this money, I'd be able to help people, I'd be able to give it to people who really need it. We, we can even spiritualize and Christianize this thing, right? And we do it in the church too, in the church world. Like, let me just be honest. I would love for you to come into a bunch of money. Like I would. I would love for somebody to walk in the door this week and go, here's a check. Boom. Lay down millions of dollars that we can put into the church's bank account. I would love that. Why? Because then I could get a company car. No, I'm kidding. Because... Because then we'd be able to, seriously, we'd be able to reach more, I would think we'd be able to reach more people for Jesus. Any, anything that was holy, anything that we couldn't do because of finances, now we'd be able to do, right? We'd be able to plant churches, we'd be able to launch campuses, we'd be able to, whatever. Like, it, it, we think this way too, that money is going to solve problems, that we're going to be able to do more for Jesus if we just had more money. But here's what I want you to hear. Even though We generally see riches as an advantage. They can be a monumental spiritual disadvantage. My point is that we are rich as it relates to the world. God must have a global perspective if he has any kind of a perspective. We are rich and that puts us at a very serious disadvantage spiritually. Let me show you something in the scriptures. It's in James chapter 5. I'll read some verses, starting in verse one. Come now, you rich. That's you and me, by the way, we're rich. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Welcome to Great Oaks. Isn't this a great day to be in the house of the Lord? Like, thank you, James. James just really makes you feel good. If you read the book of James, this makes you feel so good about yourself. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Thank you, James. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Look at verse 5. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. What's he saying here? He's saying that those who put their hope in riches will have placed themselves at a serious spiritual disadvantage when it gets to the end, right? That the the riches and the wealth and the things, the trinkets that they're holding on to, that they've spent their lives coming after and seeking after, and their whole goal in life is to to create wealth, that that, that those things that they're holding on to in the end, that they'll just be rotting and corroding, and there'll be nothing left. And then that corrosion, it's not just going to be separate from them, but it's going to begin to eat their flesh like fire, James says. He's saying rich people have a serious spiritual disadvantage here. If you put your hope in riches, it's not going to work out well. And then he says they fatten their hearts in the day of slaughter. They fatten their hearts in the day of slaughter. He's saying that the rich people are like a calf or a pig being fattened up for slaughter. And, and so the rich like that have fattened themselves up to be cut down on the last day. In other words... The rich are like pigs in a farm that love to eat. And they're sitting there thinking, wow, my master must love me. Look at how much food he's giving me. He must love me more than anyone else. Look at how fat I'm getting. My master loves me. Only to find on the day of slaughter that they've been fattened up for a different reason. You tracking with me? This is the rich, so James says. And James chapter 5 is not the only place this shows up in this sacred scripture of ours. Jesus said being rich is is a serious disadvantage. In Luke chapter 18, it'll be on the screen in a minute, but in Luke chapter 18, a rich guy comes to him. So like you and me, we come to Jesus And verse 18, Luke 18, 18, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so you got a rich guy, comes up to Jesus, wants to go to heaven, a rich guy who wants to go to heaven. That's us, right? On a global perspective, what we have in this room, on a global scale, what we have in this room is rich people who want to go to heaven. Otherwise, why would you be here? If you don't want to go to heaven, you don't understand what heaven is. If you don't think you're rich, you missed the last 15 minutes, right? We're rich people who want to go to heaven. This is you and this is me. And so Jesus answers by saying, you just need to follow the law. Just do the law without fail and you'll be fine. The rich young ruler answers back and says, I've done that. I've already done that since I was a kid. What else do I lack? And look at Jesus, his response. Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. And then Luke records in 23, but when he heard these things, the rich guy, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Look at Jesus's response. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus goes, oh, it's so hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's just so hard. He just kind of shakes his head goes, ah, it's just so hard. You know, it'd be easier for me to take a camel and shove it through the eye of a needle than it would be for one rich guy to go into the kingdom of heaven. Man, I've read this passage a bunch. I've studied it. I've heard other pastors preach on it. I grew up in the church. I've heard this a lot. I think finally after all these years, I think I've finally figured out kind of what this passage means. I think I know the secret to understanding this passage in Luke 18. When Jesus says that it's hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven, I think I know what he means. I think what he really means is that it's hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, I really am convinced that this verse just means exactly what it says. I really think it's just really hard for rich people, that's that's me and you, it's really hard for us to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's what James is warning against in James chapter five that we read earlier. But why? I mean, if riches, material wealth can be can be a blessing from God? Why can it also be a spiritual disadvantage? I, I think it's because when you're rich, you have a lot of things to grab onto. I think it's because when you're rich, there's a lot of things to put into your hand and hold onto. One of those things is God, his truth, the truth of his son coming to die for you and save you. One of those things is the truth of the gospel. But when you're rich, you have so many things to grab onto. And, and all of us were, were created, were born with this hole in our lives, our hearts, our souls, this void and this insatiable desire to fill this void. That's the way God created us to find him. But when you're rich and you reach out for something to, to fill that void, you've got a lot of options, right? You've got a lot of options. One is God, but you've got a lot of options. When you're rich, there's so much to clasp your hand around, to hold on to, to close your hand around. So in the end, it's just, it's hard. It's so hard for the rich, like you and me, to enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, thanks for coming today. Um, I'll see you guys later. You're rich, I'm rich, it's hard. I'll see you later, all right? No, uh, I'm just kidding. What do we do? How do we, how do we combat this whole thing? I think you have to stop living in denial, acting like you're not rich. I think that's important. I think you need to internalize and, and accept that you are rich. You are so rich. Thank God for what he's given you. And then, and then accept that with great power comes great responsibility. Spider-Man's Uncle Ben said that. And so I think it must be from God. With great power comes great responsibility. Now Jesus said it too, but he said it in a different way. He said, everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. We're rich. God has given us much. Therefore, much will be expected of us. You've got to accept that. That's the point I've been making this whole time. But I want to leave you with two kind of other practical things that if you do them will definitely help you begin to open your hands when it comes to your stuff and your finances and your money that God has graciously given you. So we'll call them keys, two keys um, to living open-handed with our money. Both of these come from 2 Corinthians 9. I told you we'd get there eventually. We are there. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read a few verses from this starting in verse 6. The apostle Paul writes and he says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully, I'm not a farmer, but that makes sense to me, right, like you, more seed, more harvest, kind of makes sense, you don't have to be a farmer to figure this out, verse 7, each one of us, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. We're not gonna get into verse eight very deeply today, but that's a, that's a promise from God that you can, you can take and you can memorize and you can know. It's a pretty big promise that he makes there in verse eight. Verse nine, as it was written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The person who's supplying those things is God, right? It's God who does that. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So the first key I want to leave you with is this. Create a plan to give strategically. Create a plan to give strategically. Verse seven said, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Listen, if you feel like you're under compulsion to give in a church service or somebody's got a need and they're like, hey, you need to help us with this or whatever. If you feel like you're under compulsion, it's probably because you don't have a plan to give strategically. He said decide it in your heart before you show up so that when you show up, it's already been decided. And if God wants you to do something different, you do something different, but you don't feel like you're under compulsion. Are you tracking with me? This is a pretty big key here for you. So you don't have to feel like you're forced into anything. You have a plan to give strategically ahead of time. And the other side of this is that nobody stumbles into this. Like, you don't just like all of a sudden, like, I used to give nothing to God, and then, whoa, now I'm super generous. All of a sudden, I'm giving all this to God. Like, I don't know how it happened. Like, I used to be greedy and materialistic, but I think God maybe set up an automatic donation through my church's website or something, because now... Now I'm giving on a, at, a, at a higher level. That's not the way it works. It doesn't happen that way. You need to decide ahead of time. Sit down and make a plan, a strategic plan to give, to open your hands. And I believe this strategic plan starts with what the Bible calls tithe. Tithe literally means 10% god has given you 100 percent of what you have and a biblical principle that's all over the bible is that you and i are to give back to god the first 10 percent of what he has given us it's called it's called the tithe at least that no matter what it's kind of like the first step in learning to live with open hands in your finances like god wants you to it starts with your tithe in a practical sense god in his wisdom has set up the church to function through the tithes of its people. That's the way the church is set up to function, through the tithes of its people. In other words, the people who receive from the church are to give to it Also, are you tracking with me? I'm talking local church, small C, local church. If you are a part of a local church, unless you're a visitor from out of town or whatever, that's Great Oaks, okay? So if you're, whatever your church home is, the one that you receive from and are blessed from, the one that you maybe serve at, that's where you're supposed to put your tithe. The ones who, so, so the people in a church are supposed to give to the church that they receive from through their tithes. And this may be news to you, but that's how churches pay light bills and salaries and help people who walk in during the street, in, uh, during the street, during the week, off the street, in the office who need help. That's how we do it. It's through the tithes of the people who call this church their their church home. It's how churches multiply and reach new people and. Further the gospel, it's how we're able to be a gathering place for believers. Like, I don't know if some of you thought that that just happened, like, like God just took care of that, like, boom, like just gave us money. We got like paid by God each, each week or each month, like a paycheck in our bank account, and now we can do things. That's not the way it works. The way it works is it's very practical. It's very practical. The way it works is through the tithes of the people, right? So I encourage you to start with the tithe. tithe to the general fund of the church that you are receiving from. The church God is using to bless you and your family. That's the system God has set up. And if we're to live with open hands in this way and create a strategic plan that starts with the tithe, if we would do that, then every church everywhere, if Christians would just do this, every church everywhere would have plenty of money. They would have money to do what God has called them to do. I really believe that. They would be overflowing with enough resources to give to those in, needs, in need, to plant churches, to multiply, to help people, to be a gathering place. They had plenty of money. They have plenty of money to go around, to reach co- countless people with the truth of Christ. It's just the way it is. And maybe you're like, but I don't want to. <laughs> like you're using a lot of Bible, but still, I don't want to. I just... It's my money. I don't want to give the money. It's mine. I worked hard for it. The church, the church doesn't need it. Look at this fancy gym we meet in. <laughs> Look at this fancy chairs we have here. Like, these are awesome. Church doesn't need my money, right? God. Church doesn't need my money. Or maybe you're going, I want to give to other organizations. I don't want to give to the church. I want to just kind of give as I feel led outside of the church. I want to give what it's convenient, which means when you have a $5 bill, not a $100 bill in your pocket, right? Then you can reach in and give everything you got, $5. I just hit some of you, you're like, oh gosh, he said it. I just, how does he know that? How does he know that? Some of you are mad at me, but be mad at Luke and James because that's where we're at so far. 2 Corinthians 2, the Apostle Paul. If that's you, if you're one of those... Um, You should just be very thankful that that everyone doesn't do that. That others have taken seriously their responsibility to support God's church. Otherwise, otherwise you wouldn't be able to keep receiving from this church or any church. We would cease to exist. Every church is the same. We would cease to exist. It's very practical. That's just the truth, the practical side of things. God has set this up to work by you and I giving 10% of what he has given us back to the church that we are a part of. The church that he's placed us in. It might not be easy for you if you've never done this before. It might not be easy for you to tie, but it's definitely not complicated, right? It might not be simple, but it's not complicated. Yeah. So create a plan to live strategically. And once You've gotten your tithes taken care of. Like it's happening automatically. That's God's money. I don't even think about it anymore. I just give that 10%. It's not even mine. And somebody talked to me about that between services. They're like, we just said, we're just going to do it. We don't even think about it. We just do it. Like there's no question. We just do it. And God has blessed. Once you get it set up like that, where it's just, it's happening and you know it's God's, then your strategy goes beyond that. I mean, what has God especially knit your heart to? What does he want you to give to on a regular basis outside of a local church? And maybe it's kingdom builders here, our kingdom builders. Um, initiative. It it funnels money into local church expansion and compassion, missions and ministry all over the world, locally and abroad. In fact, just this last week or two, I think two weeks ago, uh, we were able to use Kingdom Builders funds uh, to pay uh, uh, like a dire kind of bill for the Dream Center in Peoria. They had a pipe burst under their building and they have a homeless shelter. So it's like, we got to get this fixed now. They did it. They don't have the money for it. Contacted us and we were able to give almost all of that bill, thousands of dollars, because of what you give to Kingdom Builders. That's what works. That's how Kingdom Builders works at Great Oaks Community Church. Isn't that kind of awesome, though, that God allowed us to do that? It's pretty awesome. So maybe it's Kingdom Builders that, that above me on your tithe, you're going, yeah, God has knit my heart to this vision. I believe in it. But maybe it's, maybe it's water wells in India. Maybe it's cancer research. Maybe it's something else. I mean, I I don't know. Maybe it's foster care ministry or something like that. But what has God knit your heart to? Once you begin to tithe to your local church, then after that you start to give strategically to those things on a regular basis. Not just when it feels good, but on a regular basis. You tracking with me so far? So create a plan to give strategically. The second key is this. Create margin to give generously. Create margin to give generously. Look at verse six and 11 again. It says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So God has made you rich in order that you can be generous. The more riches you have, the more generous you should be. But what tends to happen is that we spend 100% of whatever comes in, right? Whatever that number is, whatever it comes in, our budget is that. We spend that 100%. We let it out. We don't have any margin. That's what I mean by margin. We don't have any space. It's just all in and all out every month. When it was $4,000 a month, you spent $4,000. When it went up to five, you spent five. Now that it's eight, you spend $8,000 a month. Then they may be It's not like you're buying new cars every month or whatever. Like maybe there's kids college in that and retirement and whatever. There's, there's still some savings in there, some wise spending in there, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about creating margin in your budget so that you can give generously because I think we would all agree if you're a Christ follower, we'd all agree that God puts people in our path that we are to help, right? Right? people who have great need that we are to give to. But what happens if you haven't created margin in your finances is that those opportunities come, God-ordained divine appointments, God has made this happen, they come in front of you and you go, I just don't have anything to give. I just don't have any, I don't have any extra. Because 100% of what God has given me each month, I spend. I, it's all earmarked. It all goes out. So I don't, I don't have anything. We need to create margin in order to give generously. Create margins so that when you're in a church service and the Holy Spirit speaks to you to give to kingdom builders because you haven't heard about it yet or whatever, that you just, you're just you able to give. You're able to go, God, how much do you want me to give? And, and create margins so that when your neighbor is going through something and they need some help, you're able to come alongside of them. Maybe, maybe they don't know Jesus and they're like, why are you doing this? Like, because Jesus gave me all that I have and it's all his. I'm trying to live open-handed. It's difficult at times, but I'm trying to live open-handed. When you see somebody in need on the street, you're able to give generously. When a hurricane devastates a community and instead of us sitting back here where there's not a hurricane, I don't think there's hurricanes in Illinois, I'm not sure. That was a joke, you guys with me? I don't, so when we see a hurricane devastate some coastal town or whatever, instead of looking on the TV and going, ah, I, just, I wish I could help, but I just don't have any left because I spend 100% of what comes in. Instead of that, we've created margin, and so we're going. God, how much do you want me to give? How much of this margin do you want me to give to convoy of hope as they go and take food and water and supplies and the gospel of Jesus Christ to these in the greatest of need? You see, you see what I'm saying? See how it's different? You, You can't do that if you don't have margin. Once we've started tithing to the Lord, we need to create some additional margin, even if it's a small amount, 20 bucks a week or whatever, so that we're ready to give generously when God speaks to us to do so. And as we do that, the Bible just said that we would be sowing more. And as we sow more, we what? Reap. More And as we reap more, because we're deciding to live open-handed with our finances, we sow more. And as we sow more, we reap more. And it just keeps going. And the Bible said in Second Corinthians 9 that you are enriched in every way to be generous in every way. You are enriched. Enriched literally means made rich, right? You are made rich so that you can be generous in every way. He is blessing us so that we can be a bigger blessing to those in need. Okay. Favorite topic to talk about in church, right? How many of you just loving talking about money in church? Anybody? I thought I'd get one or two, but fine, whatever. Here, just hear the warning from scriptures today. You and I are rich, and that comes with a spiritual disadvantage. It causes us to close our hands around the things of this world instead of around the truth and love of Jesus Christ. So don't live in denial about being rich. Accept the blessing that it is and then be vigilant in opening your hands. Start to open your hands by creating a plan to give strategically and margin to give generously. Each week, Um, In this series, we've been giving you an open hands prayer to pray because we know opening your hands just can't happen outside of the power of God at work in your life. And so um, it's in the bulletin and has been over the last three weeks. If you missed those or whatever, I'm about to say them. They'll be on the screen. You can take a picture. Uh, You're not going to be able to write them down fast enough. But I hope that you're praying these prayers. Weeks one prayer was this. God, help me be convinced in every way that you will give me all that I need so that I can live with open hands to you. Last week's, Jesus, help me live like the faith you've given me isn't about me. Teach me how to open my hands to share with others the faith that has been shared with me. Here's today's. Lord, thank you for making me rich. I have all that I need. Help me consistently open my hands to give to your church and to those in need. Say that with me on three, okay, you ready? It's on the screen, is it on the screen? All right, it's on the screen. On three, we'll say open hands prayer number three for this week, one, two, three. Lord, thank you for making me rich. I have all that I need. Help me consistently open my hands to give to your church and to those in need. I hope you've been challenged today. Uh, If talking about money in church makes you mad, you probably love your money a little bit too much, so you should pray about that. I'm not uh, disappointed or angry at you though, I'm more um, if that's you, my heart just breaks for you. Because it's just so hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven and as I watch you hold on to the things of this world, the temporary things of this world, I pray that in the last day you're not standing there holding nothing, you know? And so, I pray that you'll you'll think about this as it, in regards to, for your own eternity, for your own soul's sake, that you'll think about this and pray about this and begin to open your hands when it comes to your finances. Not Not because I need you to, but because you need you to. Why don't you stand with me? The worship team's coming out. They're gonna lead us in one last worship song. We'd love for you to stay for that. Prayer team's gonna be on the side if you would like prayer during this song or after this song. Here's my prayer for you today, though. May you accept that you're rich and the dangers and responsibilities that come with that. May your hope be in the ultimate source of your money, not the money itself. And may you open your hands to give generously and strategically to the church God has called you to and to those in the greatest need. God bless you. Thank you for coming today. Make sure you talk this over with a life group this week. If you're not in a life group, Stop by at the Connection or connection Central in the lobby and we'll get you plugged in. And as always, my challenge and my encouragement to you is that you would not let this stop with you, that just like you've been helped to take your next step towards God, you would go out and help others take their next step towards God. Open the Bible, look at Matthew 18, James 5, 2 Corinthians 9, and talk through that with somebody. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. I'll see you next week for the last week in our open hand series. God bless.